But here we are. We're, we're launching into our new series in 2023. Got to get used to using those terms. And the series we're, we're, we're launching back into 2023 is called You Asked For It. You Asked For It. Right? And if this is your first time here, first time to our service, and, uh, and you're wondering, what's this You Asked For It? So well, last month we gave out all these little, little notes and said, hey, if, if, you've, if you've got any suggestions, what, what do you want heard or, or spoken about in church? And so this is what this series is, is it was where we give you the opportunity to have your say. And today, for you asked, right, this, the question that someone wrote in, it's, it's a doozy, okay? They wrote this question, I thought, this is a great question, and it's, it's a quite a big, difficult question to ask, especially unpack in this time. And to be honest, I, was, I thought to myself, I, I won't be able to do this justice, but I just thought, well, Lord, just lay, whatever you lay on my heart. Lord, let me just follow what you want us to hear this morning. And the question is this. How do we answer a person who doesn't believe and says the Bible has many versions and has been altered over time? That's the question. That's the question someone put forward. How do you answer a person who doesn't believe and says the Bible has many versions and has been altered over time? And um, you may be sitting in this room, you might be thinking that exact thing is, oh my gosh, there's so many different versions. And, oh, this is why I, I, I read the King James, because it's the, the authorized version. It's the, it's the one that was really inspired and it hasn't been changed. And in these last 400 years, they've, they've changed the version. And, but the King James, that's the one. What, whatever it is for you. And if you're looking for a title for today's message, it is the authenticity of the Bible. How do we know when we pick up the Bible, when we pick up the Word of God, that it's the same, it's the, it's the same Word, that it hasn't been tampered with, that it hasn't altered, that man hasn't got in here to try and do something, and we threw things out we didn't like, and we thought this would be good just to, to, to kind of create a narrative. How do we know what we have in our hands is the Word of God? How do we know in our hands that what, what we're holding is what, was, was what they were reading 2,000 years ago? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today, and, uh, and we haven't, honestly, I'm, uh, there, there isn't enough time to sufficiently go through this, but I just want to share what's on my heart about this question, the authenticity, authenticity of the Bible. And here's the thing, when someone, this, whenever someone asks me some curly question, because they've got some random fact to back up this question, this is what I ask in return. I always ask this in return. I say this. This is what I say. And this is probably a little, little clue for you. If someone asks you a curly question that's going to shock you, and maybe you, you take a step back, I always ask the follow-up question, well, how, how do you know that? How do you know that? You're right? How do you, how, where, did, where did you get this bit of fact from? Like if someone asks you, about, oh, did you know the Bible believes this? And I was going, really? How do you know that? Have you read it in the Bible? Could you show me where it says that? And, and nine times out of ten, they'll have no idea. They'll just look at you with a bit of a glaze over their, over their eyes. And it's really, and, and it's, honestly, if they're trying to, which is good, people try to hold you accountable, which is good. We should be held accountable. But it's also good for us to hold the other person accountable, right? Because quite often it's because, uh, how do they, with someone, say, for instance, someone asking this question, you know, oh, the Bible's been altered and changed. And my, my natural question is, how do you know that? Who told you? Did, you? did you see it in a movie? <laughs> you know? Or did you hear it from a friend? How do you know that? And that's a good question, and this is what we're going to begin to look at. Because when we go down to our local Christian bookstore, we go to Mana Bookstore, 
right? And we go to the Bible section, and there's all these translations, right? All these different translations. Well, you've got your Bible app, you open it up, and there's so many translations. You go to your favorite Bible passage, you have a read of it, and then, and then you read it in another, in, in a different translation. In a different translation. You open up in the NIV, and I go, oh, this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his one and only son. Then you read it in another translation, and the words are different. Right? The words are different. And, and you, you'll be like, oh, that's okay because it's a different translation. But for some of us, it's like, ah, there you go. It's been tampered with. It's been altered. It's been tampered This is why we have all, you know, well, this is why I don't trust the Bible because of all these things that are going on. But here's the thing. The Bible, just like Jesus, is both a human book and a divine book. The Bible, just like Jesus, is both human and divine. The book that we have, meaning that through these human words, God speaks to his people through these human words. And, and when we pick up the Bible, they're very human when we begin to read and, and, and have a look at these things. And some of us have this view of the Bible that, that, that the Bible is like, these, like this golden book that's fallen out of heaven, right? The Bible that we have, and that when, the, when, when it came to writing the Bible, like somehow they got zapped by the Holy Spirit, you know, their, their eyes rolled back and they began to write, right? And when they came to, they're like, wow, I can't wait to read what I just read, right? Like, is this, is this what I mean? This is, and some of us have this kind of view, and, and that's very unhelpful. And, and, that's not, and, and that's certainly not true. In fact, what the Bible claims about itself is that it is a thoroughly human book. It's a thoroughly human book with God's words to his people. That's what the Bible claims about itself. That God was involved in guiding by his spirit. It's both a divine book and a very human book at the same time. So we're just gonna, I'm just going to get to the nerdy bit really quickly. Just the nerdy bit. I thought just get into the nerdy bit and then we can move on. And I have to move on because I can stay in the nerdy bit for days, right? My wife knows this, and so I'm just going to get there really quickly. Okay, now the Bible hasn't been changed. The Bible hasn't been altered or tampered with. With all these different translations, and when we look at all our modern translations today, all our, all our modern, all the different translations are all translated from one source. Did you know that? So all the translations, the NIV, the NLT, the, the uh, GNV, the, uh, the, the ANTS version, uh, that's the ANTS version in case you haven't, no, just kidding. <laughs> so, right? All these different versions out there, not apart from the ANTS version, uh, all these versions are all translated from one source, right? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the translations are translated from one source. Now, for the Hebrew Bible, we call it the Old Testament. You know, if you, if you are a Jew, you don't call it the Old Testament, you just call it your Hebrew Bible. <laughs> it's just that, right? So when it comes to the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible, let me show you a picture of a jewel of a manuscript called the Leningrad Codex. So take a look at this. This is the Leningrad Codex. This is, this is the, one of the crown jewels of manuscripts, right? It is, it is the... The oldest complete manuscripts, manuscript of the Hebrew Bible, the oldest complete, meaning all the pages are all together. It's the oldest complete 
manuscript that we have. It's not the oldest manuscript, right? It's the oldest complete, okay? And it's called the Leningrad Codex. And, and this dates back to 1008 AD. And so, so this is where all our Old Testament are translated out of, right? So this is the basis for all of our Old Testament translations out there. Now, people haven't changed the Bible. It's still the same translation that they're using. People haven't changed it. People haven't altered it. But you'll be sitting here saying, well, but that's still a thousand years removed from the time of Jesus, right? Because 1008 AD, that's impressive. Don't get me wrong. But that's still a thousand years removed from the time of Jesus. How do we know that even this Leningrad Codex is the same text that Jesus was reading when he opened up his Tanakh, the Torah, when he began to read? How do we know this is what he had? Well, this is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are so awesome. The Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead sea Scrolls were discovered um, over 100 years ago, uh, just about 100 years ago. Honestly, you know, they're the oldest texts we have. In fact, here's the oldest of the biblical Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and so I'm going to the next slide. This, this is the Exodus Scroll, and it dates 150 BC. Right? This is from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's the oldest. It's the oldest. Um, text that we have, 150 BC. Right. So here's the thing: when we, so we can now do a bit of reverse engineering, right? If you like, if you like that, we can we can now compare these two texts from the from the Leningrad, which was about a, a thousand eight AD, to this Dead Sea Scroll, the Exodus Scroll, dated 150 BC. Is a thousand year gap, and when you when you begin to compare the two. It's insane of how remarkably similar they are. It's crazy. That, w- that w- When we read a scroll that was written 150 BC, a thousand years removed from the Leningrad uh, Codex, it's, it's, a rem- it's, it's insanely remarkable how similar they are. That we can totally trust what translation we have in our hands. So here's what Bible geeks have been doing for the last 200 years. Any Bible geeks in this room? Here's what Bible geeks have been doing the last two years. Have a, have a, have a look at this. This is, where all modern, well, this is where all modern translations are translated out of, right? This is called the Biblica Hebraica Quinta. Is that right? The Biblica Hebraica Quinta. All right? How do I know that's how you say it? Trust me, that's how you say it. All right. And so there we have, and you can see the main text there. That's the Leningrad text, right? And it's at the above there. So when it comes to, so when, so when you go to these different translation, translated versions, this is what, these are the texts that they're using to translate the Old Testament. And so you've got their Leningrad text, their main text. And see, see just below that, it's a list. So what Bible nerds have done, they've compiled, they've looked at thousands, literally thousands of, from the Dead Sea Scrolls to ancient, ancient um, manuscripts to ancient translation to, for, uh, from the Septuagint and, and all these things, and they compiled all the differences, and they put them down the bottom there. So you can actually trace it. You can trace all the differences. Are there differences? Because, you know, when we compare the two, from a thousand years ago, it's remarkably similar. Are there differences? Yes, there's differences. And that shouldn't bother us one bit. Why? Because the Bible is a human book as well as a divine book, meaning that God partnered with human beings who make mistakes, who when it comes to writing down things will miss a word from time and time. But here's the thing, we can trace it all. It's all there. 
There's no missing books in the Bible. There's no manuscript that kind of fall out of anything. We've got too much of the Bible. It's, there is no literature like it. It is so unique in the world. It's unbelievably unique. It, there, there's nothing like our Bible. We can trust what we have is what they were reading 2,000 years ago. And here's the New Testament equivalent of this. And this is called the Nestle's Arlen 27th edition, the same, it's the same thing. And there you go. There's a list of all the variants, of all the manuscripts, of all the variants, of every single document that we found that's right there. All our translations are translated from these manuscripts. Right? It's, it's not being altered. Man, just the other day, I was writing, I was, I was writing this, this, this e-news, this letter to everyone in church about, hey, this is the year that was. You may, does anybody get that, that e-news that I sent? We, she had a pastor, uh, we talked to uh, Margaret Hemway, who passed away, and all these things. Anyway, I, what I, so when I write these things, I send these things out because if I leave it to my own devices, the grammar's going to be wrong. It's going to be really bad, right? So I send that out, and you know what? All these different remarks were coming back, and one bit said, doesn't quite make sense. In fact, you should say it like this. This person said, you should say it like that. It was the same sentence, but said so differently, right? And we were looking at the same, they were all looking at the original manuscript, my stuff, <laughs> and everyone's giving their own suggestions to how I should rewrite that and, and say this, and, 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 then, and then, you know what? I've got a copy of all these little variants that I can follow, but it's amazing, we can trust what we have, that, that the Bible, that what we hold in our hand is incredible. The Bible is not some lost artifact, right? It's not some, there's no secret books of the Bible. Things that have fallen out of it. We can trust what we have. There's no great secret of how our Bible was put together. It's public knowledge. It is so public knowledge. We get, where people get caught up watching movies and think that's exactly how it is. It's kind of like watching, you know, have you ever heard of the movie called The Da Vinci Code? It's a, it's a, fic, it's a fiction story. That people believe that's fact. It's like watching Lord of the Rings and believing that's part of our ancient history. Right? That's exactly, if you believe the Vinci Code, that's what you believe about the Lord of the Rings. Do we believe all movies are true? It's crazy how we can. This is public knowledge. There's no secret. You, you, you can, even Wikipedia gets this right. Just look it up on Wikipedia. They get it right as well. The, 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 the information out there is, is right out there. We have nearly 6,000 manuscript pieces of evidence for the New Testament alone. That's crazy. 6,000. In fact, take a look at this. Here's the oldest piece of the New Testament that exists. Take a look at this. This is from the Gospel of John. It's dated 125 AD. 125 AD. That's 40 years from the original. The original was written down, and, and so that's within someone's lifetime. It's crazy what we have, that, that the early Christians began to write this thing down because they valued it what, when they began to read this, the authority of Scripture. You know, if you, if, has anybody got one of these things? You, do you know what this is called? This is called a book. Did you know that? Did you know it has a spine? And see all these pages that are in there? Did you know that this is a Christian invention? That Christians so valued the text, they want to get as many of these Pages put together in one place. That, that in fact, it was Christianity, it was the Word of God that, that pushed the, the technology for writing ahead. This is a Christian invention. The fact we have a book saying, thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for our books that we have. Otherwise, we're getting out our scroll. Can everyone turn to the scroll? Hand out the scrolls. Let's go to, right, here we go. And this, this is it. Here we go. Can we trust the authenticity of our Bible translation? Absolutely. 
The Bible hasn't been tampered with. It hasn't been altered. People ask me all the time, what translation should I read? And here, here you go. Here's my advice to you. If you want to know what translation you should read, here's the advice. Listen carefully. Lean in and listen to my advice to you. The translation that you should be reading is the one that you are reading. Did you get that? The translation that you should be reading is the one that you're reading. The point is, just read the Bible. Just read it. Have many translations. Have many. Just, just get them together. Just read whatever version you have. Read it. You've got the King James? Read it. You've got the message? Just read it. You know, just read the book. Just read it. It will change your life. Did you know that the Bible is the most illegal book in the world? Did you know this, this is the most, some countries, having the Bible on your person can mean imprisonment. In some places, it means death. Did you know that the Bible is also the most stolen book in the world? Right? Gideon, who has Bibles in, in hotels and motels, report how, how many books, are, they proudly report how many of their books are stolen. It's the most stolen book. It's the most read book in the world. People have given their lives that we could have this book in our hands. This book is powerful. It's the Word of God. It's, it's thoroughly a human book as well as a divine book. It's human. We can look at it. That God will partner with us. That He doesn't abandon us. He, he's like, you know, they're going to not get it right, but it's okay. I'm here. I'll, I'll guide them along. And, and, and Don't worry. We're going to have lots of pieces around and things won't get missed. Come on, if you believe that there is God and, and that God has, has, has partnered with humanity, then we can trust that God knew what he was doing. That what we hold in our hand is authentic. That we, we can trust what we have. That's the authenticity of the book. And I was just trying to be really brief on that. So, <laughs> I went way longer than I expected. But here's the thing. I really want to talk about the authority of the book. There's one thing. Okay, this is, okay, this is authentic. This is what they're reading. But what, what kind of authority does this book have, have over my life? Why should I, why should I hold this Bible... Uh, as, a, as authoritative over my life. I mean, why was the book even written in the first place? So we're going to be having, just quickly, have a look at the origins of the Bible. Why it was written in the first place. Okay, so pop quiz. Where is the first place in the Bible that describes the writing of the Bible? Right? You might love pop quiz. Where in the Bible, where in the Bible, where is the first place in the Bible that describes the writing of the Bible? And the answer is, of course, you all know this, Exodus chapter 17, right? Okay, no, that's okay. So, so here we have the Israelites, they've, they've, they've been, uh, through the leadership of Moses, God uses Moses and he, and, he, and he rescues his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And, they, and they've gone through the Red Sea and the only way to Mount Sinai, right? And this picks up the story in Exodus 17, verse 8 to 9. Here it is, verse, and then verse 14. The Malachites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. Because remember, that, some of you might be familiar with that story where that, you know, there's, there's Moses holding up the staff. And when, were, when, when the children of Israel were fighting, when Joshua was leading the army, this is the first time Joshua was mentioned, by the way, just another fact to throw in there. They're winning the battle because, you know, Moses is getting, getting on, gets a bit tired, right? And two guys have to hold keepers up. Hands lifted, and they won a great victory. Verse 14, then the, Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, 
write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Here it is. The origins of the Bible. The reason why it was written down. There's, there's no mention of, of Moses, his eyes rolling back and starting writing. No, no, no. What, he, he was doing a very human thing. He just sat down and began to write. He, 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 didn't, he, he knew what he was writing. He just began to write it down. The first mention of the Bible being written, why did, why did, it, why did God want it written down? Why did he want it? So that they will remember. Remember how he saved his people. So the first mention of the Bible being written down is so that they can remember how he saved his people. Is this the first time God saved his people? No. It's the second time. The first time was when he saved them out of slavery, out of Egypt. Now, how did God want his people to remember that moment? Through a ritual meal called the Passover meal. They had to eat the memory of what God did for them. That was the first time, the Passover meal. God said to them, okay, for you to, to remember this and how I rescued you out of Egypt, eat this meal, the Passover meal. You have to eat to remember how I rescued you. The second time, God said, write it down. Write it down. Okay. Second pop quiz. Where's the second mention of writing in the Bible? <laughs> Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 3 to 8. Let's read it. Okay, so now, here they are there. They're at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai. God's about, uh, and this is where we get the famous Ten Commandments. Okay. Verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws. How many laws are there in the Bible? There's the initial 10. 613. 613. Anyway, carry on. 613. When Moses went and told the people all the laws, words, and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. We will do everything he said. Now, do the people do it? No, if you're familiar with the Bible, they don't. They don't. Sounds familiar. Sounds like us. Okay, verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. This is the second mention. The second mention, right? But this time, what's, why is the second reason why the Bible is being written? It's writing down the terms and conditions of this covenantal relationship. That God is entering in a covenant relationship with his people. And Moses begins to write this down, and God's inviting his people to live according to his wisdom, right? So that, why? So that they can be a light to the nations. That as they begin to trust in God and live according to God's way, to be this contrast community, that the other nations will look at them and go, wow, wow, they can begin to see God in Israel. Wow, this is, what, this is this covenant relation. And Moses begins to write down the terms of this covenant, right? He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And he set up the 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5. Then he sent young Israelite men and they, they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as, as fellowship offerings to the Lord. It's incredible when you get into all that to that system. Verse 6, Moses, Moses took half of the blood and he put it in bowls. The other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, all right? Moses, what he's just written, 
right? And, and what, what's the covenant? It's, it's the Torah, it's the laws, right? It's the, the terms that they agreed to. And he read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, all right? We will obey. This is what they said. Verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. And you'll be thinking, ooh, that's gross. That's okay. We've got the bowls of blood we're going to be bringing out soon. And Here's the thing. This is the only time in the Bible where blood is applied to the people. The only time. It's never applied to the people ever again. Just this one time. Right? And there's another time where blood applied, and that was to Aaron when, onto his earlobe and to his thumb when he entered into this, this role. Those are the only times blood is actually applied, but it's never applied to people after that. The only time. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Right? So why did the Bible come into existence? Exodus 17, to tell the story of how God had rescued and formed a people. Just looking at my font and I realized my font is not what, what I expected. Exodus 24, right? To invite these... Uh, to invite those people into a covenant relationship with God. So why did the Bible come into existence? To tell the story how God had rescued and formed the people and to invite those people into a covenant relationship with God. This is why the Bible was written. This is why, why we have what we have. This is the authority of the Bible, where the Bible holds us accountable, brings us to account. See, it's not some rules it's not a rule book. And this is where we think of this, the golden tablets falling out of heaven, right? That it's like these, these, these rules. It's not that at all. It's not some rules what you should and should not do. If you do these things, you're going to go to the good place. If you don't, you're going to go to the bad place. It's about a relationship. It's about walking in a relationship with God. God said, will you trust me? Begin to walk with me. Enter into this relationship with me. And when you live in this way, when you live in this way, you will be blessed. You know, do you trust me? This is, this is what, what it is. And, and so fast forward, fast forward to Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing. When Jesus arrives, he so cared about his Bible, the Bible. And when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about the Old Testament. He so cared about it, and he constantly was quoting from it. He, he constantly referred to it as a source of divine speech and authority. And when we, when we think about Jesus, for many of us, we're like, you know what, I, I love reading the New Testament, but this Old Testament stuff, I don't really get. I'll stick to the New Testament. But hey, we can't just take part of Jesus. We've got to take all of Jesus. And Jesus howled the Old Testament as part of what, it was, of what he said. And, he, and I love what he says. He came and he began to announce how the kingdom of God is here. That God's reign and rule has arrived to rescue his, his goodwill from what we have done to this place. How does he do it? He does it by beginning a, beginning a movement of disciples that culminates with this night before Jesus is betrayed, the Last Supper. Matthew 26, verse 26, this, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Does this sound familiar to you? He's quoting from Exodus. We've just read it. Jesus is quoting from Exodus. Jesus sees himself as bringing in a new covenant people. Jesus ties 
what he is doing is, is forming a people that will bring a light to the nations. And he's inviting you to be part of this new covenant people. Now, what happened in Mount Sinai? Because Jesus is, is reading himself as he's the new Moses. What happened in Mount Sinai? They began to write down this covenant. Now, did Jesus ever write anything? Did he ever write anything down? What did Jesus give us to remember? He gave us a meal. We call it communion. He gave it to us so that we remember, that we eat the memory of what he did for us on the cross. That God so loved the world that he stepped into his creation and he became a human being in the fullness of Jesus. And on the cross, he died for your sins so that you may be free and set, and begin to step into the new way of living. So Jesus gives us this meal to eat, the, the memory of what he did for us. But watch how Matthew ends in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority... There's a word authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So why do we accept Scripture as a source of God's authority and guidance over our life? Do we give our allegiance to a book? No, we give our allegiance to Jesus. So what we mean when we say the Bible is authoritative is that Jesus has authority over me. And that authority is expressed to me through the Scriptures. Because did Jesus ever write anything? But he didn't. But what he did do, this is what he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm forming a covenant of people here, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Jesus, what does he do? He forms a covenant of people. Then he deputized apostles to pass on his teachings. And so when we pick up the Bible, and if, you, and if you believe Jesus did what he did for us to set us free, and if we believe that this is the, authentic, this is the authenticity of the Bible, then we also got to believe the authority and power that it has over our life. Because this book holds me accountable. Because when I begin to read the words of Jesus, it challenges me to the core. It changes the way that I live. And this is what I find the more I read the word of God, I've become more loving, more forgiving. I've become a better version of myself because of the authority of Scripture. So, what does it mean for us? Why should we accept the Bible as authority? Come on. We're just going to end with this, this story of why. I was having this conversation just two days ago with this older person. And they're talking about the rise of crime just even here in Hamilton. Ram raids. Anybody concerned about the rise of crime in our community? Ram raids. Blinked it. Daylight robbery. 
people walking up with trolley loads of groceries. And what this older person said to me was, I found very interesting. This is what they said. They said, I'm not sure if they're Christian or not, but this is what they said. They said, you can't blame how hard it is financially on everyone. You can't blame that. This is what they were saying. We live through a recession. We live through a war. We know what it's like to have no money, yet no one blatantly flaunted the law like they do today. This is what they said to me, and I was like, fair enough. I was there. You were there. I can't say anything. Okay. But I started to reflect on what they said. What's the biggest difference between then and now? Back then, most people, most people in society had some knowledge of the Bible. Some knowledge of the Bible. Most people. Today, with the removal of the Bible in our parliament, in our schools, and the ongoing attack on the church, within media is heartbreaking. Remove the authority of Scripture within society and you remove the accountability. Who would you rather encounter when you're walking down a street on a dark night? Do you want to, do you want to encounter a, a bunch of guys coming out of a gang uh, meeting? Or do you want to encounter a bunch of those same guys who encountered Jesus, whose life is held accountable by the Word of God, and now they're transformed? Who do you want to meet? Bible will transform your life, will turn your life the right way up. Remove the authority of Scripture within society, and you remove the accountability. Come on, God loves you. He has never abandoned you. Will you allow Him to guide you and being the best version of yourself?